everybody. Welcome to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. As always, in New London, Connecticut, this is your host, Carl Franklin. And here in Atlanta, Georgia, Mark Dunn. How's it going, Carl? It's going well, Mark. Um, interesting week. A lot of a few things have happened, and uh, I have no idea what they were. I don't know. I was dodging tornadoes, so, uh, you know. Right. Well, that was last weekend. I had other weekend. things on my mind. That was last weekend, remember? I think the reason why we're having this time warp is because we're actually recording this prematurely. So last week hasn't actually happened yet, has it? <laughs> no, it hasn't. But, you know, I, I was just, you know, going to make it sound like we were recording <laughs> next week. You were trying to uh, just pull the wool over everybody's eyes. Well, we figured... Uh, yeah, I'm diabolical that way. We'd just come clean and say right off the bat that, yeah, we, we have no idea what happened this week because uh, we're recording it during the week. So uh, with that all out of the way, Mark, what's uh, what's new with you? Oh, uh, you know, not not a lot. I've I've been relaxing this week. I haven't been teaching, so I I I guess I taught like seven weeks in a row, something like that. Oh wow! So I I figured it was time to uh, to take a little break. Hey, I just got off a seven day in a row stint, and uh, well, you're just... a madman. You do the uh, Monday through Friday, and then follow it up with a weekend class. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I don't know. I, I'm a masochist or something. But it, it was good class. They were all good classes. And uh, I always enjoy seeing the light bulbs go on. I think that's why I do it. Yeah, it always seems like uh, I, I pick up something new from, from each class I teach. Uh, you know, did you, you run into anything uh, enlightening in, in the class you taught last week? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. Um, I had a, a guy who had some remoting questions that we uh, sat down and worked out some stuff together after hours. The guy was here till midnight every night. And um, and we worked through some stuff and uh, got some good code out of it. Now, that's a hardcore student. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep, it was fun. And I learned a few things, too. Anyway, um, this is going to be a great show. And uh, this is sort of a, in terms of topics... We're almost going to go back to the very first show that uh, that I did with Pat Hines today, because um, in that show, our guest was mentioned by Pat, and uh, we've talked quite a bit about this elusive pet store application, which um, was written by Sun to uh, show everybody, you know, what the best you know the best practices are for Java development in J2EE. And so then uh, some people from a company in uh, California, Vertigo Software, wrote this very simple .NET version of it that just completely outperformed it. And, um, and so then the Java community out there cried foul saying, well, we weren't really focused on performance. And so then they had a few more months to come up with another version, and they did just a few weeks ago. And that version... Uh, still isn't anywhere close to the .NET in terms of scalability and performance. And now they're crying foul again, saying that, uh, oh, Microsoft paid for the results, which is not true, because they they had a hand in setting up the lab, but uh, uh, invi had invited Sun to a hand-to-hand -hand contest in a public arena many times, and Sun declined. So right, I was thinking the, the company that did this was called the Middleware Company, is yes. that right? Yes, the middleware company. Right. And they're they're objective, aren't they? Well, they're they're fundamentally a Java shop. Um and Microsoft helped set up the whole thing. And uh they helped, but they had no 
they had no influence on the uh, on the outcome. You know, these are real numbers that the, this company gathered. Before I get into that, I think we'd like to let our guest talk a little bit more about it because he is a regional director uh, from. Where are, you, where are you the regional director from? Well, technically, so our company is in Point Richmond, but I'm the regional director for Silicon Valley, which is a, which is a hotbed of .NET activity because no one does Java down here. Right. So it makes our job very easy. Well, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome Scott Stanfield. So, Hi, everyone. How are you? This is my, my first uh, .NET radio show. Um, my name is Scott Stanfield. I, uh, I'm the CEO of a company called Vertigo Software, and we are located... In beautiful downtown Point Richmond, which has got about 3,000 people, I walk three blocks to work, um, but we're still in the Bay Area, so it's it's kind of a nice, nice juxtaposition of the big city. Yet um, we actually have a barber shop with a little pole outside. Oh, very good. And I know I know the butcher, so it's this kind of nice little Mayberry feel. So is it kind of like Joel Fleshman, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's a great show. Um, <laughs> it was, wasn't Northern it? Exposure. That was such an awesome show. I love that show. That was uh, what prompted me and my wife to take our honeymoon to uh, Seattle, actually. Wow. In that area, because it was filmed, filmed around there. Yeah, I've never seen so many senior citizen actors in <laughs> one show. That was pretty but good. But they were all great, weren't they? They were great. That was a great show. That was the kind um, of show I, you were either into or you weren't. Yeah, it was, it was definitely on the edge. Now, uh, my TiVo is mostly full with uh, The Simpsons and uh, <laughs> Monster Garage and Junkyard Wars, because I can watch the latter two with my son. He's five. And cool. a lot of fun. Yeah, we uh we like the uh, Monster Garage as well. You know what? I think there is a there's a programming show lurking in there somewhere. Somewhere between I like the Cooking Channel, Channel uh you know the Food Channel. Yeah, yeah. Emerald Lagasse. Bam, kick right. it up. Oh, he's great. You know, and I, I'm just it, I'm killing myself. There's yeah. you can't eat software and um and uh but I it's actually there's a good segue here because you have these different chefs on there that bring a personal style right. to the 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 food that they create. And there's an analog in the software world where we we like to say this is the right way to build a souffle right. or this is the right way to build a lasagna. Right. Well, people have different ways, different styles, except, and they have different requirements. Except that we have uh, forums where they come out and actually, you know, slam dunk each other, sort of more like wrestling. Oh, um, it's, it's it's insane. <laughs> uh, this uh, let me give you some background on on kind of the the, the pet shop and just where. Okay. We are yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to. So ask. Uh, so Vertigo, our our company does a lot of work for Microsoft, and they pay us in in cold hard cash um, to do things uh, that they either don't have the expertise to do or don't want to do, or frankly, they're a big company. They have budget issues and headcount issues. And they have a lot of things on their agenda and a lot of things that they want to get done and they want to evangelize their products and technology. So sometimes they turn to us to try to pull some things together mm -hmm. um, and document how, how projects are work. And to go way back to, I think it's maybe 1999, Greg Leak, who at the time was the product manager for Visual Studio, uh, what, what was it? Visual Studio, Visual InterDev it was. InterDev. Said that, look, we've got people building web applications today cover a lot of different technologies that at Microsoft they are kind of independent groups. So, for example, we have database access through ADL. We have the database itself, SQL Server. We have languages either in VB6, we have to register them with COM, and we use Visual InterDev. Now, all those are different product groups at Microsoft. And so to get architectural guidance or get development guidance around how to pull those things together, um, he said, Why don't, uh, you know, he, he said, Vertigo, go create some fictitious scenario. And I chose the stock market because at the time I happened to be into the Motley Fool. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, hey, this would be a, a cool way to do some real real stock analysis on some real data. And also it made good sense um, 
to build a scenario around the stock, like a stock trading site, because it was plausible that you'd want to use transactions and have it be high volume. Absolutely. And so, you know, we kind of set up the uh, set up the project. And here's the timeline. We want to get done by a certain point. But the important thing is that we were trying to create a, a piece of code that people could learn from. The the word best practices wasn't around then, frankly. And mm. if I hear that word one more time, I'm going to shoot myself. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of lot of buzzword bingo that we do in this industry that just drives me nuts, and that's certainly one of them. Um, but you know, it was it's definitely it was an honest endeavor, and we thought, look, along the way, let's see, let's make sure that the code is fast, because in the heyday of the internet, especially around '99, it had to be pretty high performant and high scalable, high, highly scalable. And right out of the gates, we crashed at 16 users because we didn't have the right service pack of NT4 installed. Mm-hmm. So that was a, um, a lesson in humility. We eventually, this, the whole project culminated on stage with Steve Ballmer. We had about um, 15,000 concurrent users simulated, and all the pages were coming back in less than a second. And so to do this in Windows DNA, in VB6, and COM with transactions and SQL Server, et cetera, on a relatively inexpensive platform was really unheard of at the time. And so the code and the documentation made itself out as Fitch and Mather Stocks. The URL is fmstocks.com. And that was kind of, someone even called it the Rosetta Rosetta Stone for Windows DNA applications. And frankly, the only thing, the, the real kernel of good stuff there was the use of stored procedures in the database mm. and having a clean way of, of accessing a shared resource, which was the database. Mm-hmm. As long as you, and uh, we also put state in the database, which at the time was unheard of. Um, now you have that option with ASP.NET, mm. but it just gave us better performance. Um, but I challenge the, the listeners to come up with a high-performant piece of code, yet still be able to, to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. Because you have to make right. trade-offs between high performance, which can lead to some pretty ugly-looking code. There was a C++ version done as an ISAPI filter um, of the same application, and it was a lot faster, but it was not maintainable. Hmm. And only a few people could work with it. Go figure. So that Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that was the genesis of the, the the kind of performance projects outside of the realm of the TPC. That was more of like a, the world of, um, you know, Microsoft definitely funded it. It wasn't really a benchmark. It was just okay, saying, uh, hey, we got some code here. By the way, it's really fast. Let me, uh, just, care. let me interrupt you and ask you to define an acronym. I am the acronym policeman. TPC? Oh, it's a Transaction Processing Council. Okay. So if you go to tpc.org, you see probably one of the most respected database benchmarks. Uh, Microsoft has certainly made some tremendous headway into cracking the top ten. I think they own all the spots in one of the major TPC benchmarks, whereas just over five years ago, I don't even think they were on it. So they've come a long way in terms of the, the raw performance so, and throughput of the platform. So it's an organization? Yes, it's an independent organization. They do independent verification of benchmarks. Is it not just database, but uh, all It's mostly of... database. The, okay. the benchmarks that most people are concerned about is the TPC-C benchmark. Um, there's okay. a TPCW benchmark, which is a web-based benchmark, but it's mm. never really caught on. Um, mm. And we can get back to that, you know, get back to that in a minute because it's so that's it a that's a pretty good history of uh, of your company, and that that explains a lot. I didn't know that you guys did Fitch and Mather. It, it was it was a fun project. I personally was involved in Fitch and Mather Stocks 2000. Very cool. Um, eventually, Microsoft took it and ported it to .NET, and so the current version is FM Stock 7, mm-hmm. which ships with Visual Studio .NET. We right. didn't have much to do with that version. In fact, it could be tweaked a little bit to take advantage of, of things that we have all learned in the interim. Mm-hmm. But frankly, building best practices around a product when it is in an alpha state is, is kind of a farce. Yeah, It's hard to do that because best practice, oh, God, i got to stop using that word. Um, let's just call it wisdom. That's what it right. is. Wisdom comes from experience, which requires time. Yes. It also requires your feet in the fire. 
And you don't get that necessarily when you're dealing with alpha code. Well, there's a few things that, based on the architecture, that are easy easy to figure out. That's right. It, you do start to recognize generic patterns yes. um, of, of access. And certainly there's the, the GOF patterns, um, which are GOF? Uh, the gang of four patterns. The, the, they're, they're commonly used in the Java community. They are language-independent patterns. Okay. And they crop, crop up in the applications that we develop. But okay. I, the Visual Studio.net world is, is more... We tend to focus on construction, right. and certainly in the areas of benchmarks, we do try to strike a balance between performance and maintenance and readability and reliability of the code. But it's it's a fine line. It kind of goes back to the thing. Like I, I like to make my French toast a little bit different than you might like to make yours. Right, right. Does that mean my way is the best? It it's really funny you brought up cooking shows because uh, we're going to be doing a, a sunny day video cooking show. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> that would be I'm not, I'm not going to say anything more about it, but it's going to be a, a gas. Well, it's going to be a hoot. Well, anyway, um, let's let's jump over to the pet shop so, application yeah, let's, now. Let's fast forward. So, um, um, Sun has a book out and uh, their canonical sample for building enterprise applications, and okay. those are their words, not mine. Come from this thing called the the job of pet store. Okay. And um, pet store, pet shop. I'll probably use them interchangeably. Right. Um, and we ported a version. We we ported it to .NET. Um, and at the time, thinking there are folks moving from the Java community to .NET, and what better way to introduce them to to this world by, by, than by starting with an application that they're probably already familiar with? So, what was Sun's intent when they created the Pet Shop? Were they really focused on? Were they not focused on performance like they say they weren't? Um, What's the deal there? You know, I think if you, I think they were truly focused on architecture for architecture's sake. Okay. Which is a dangerous thing to do if you're trying to make money in this industry. Ask any object-oriented purist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I cut my teeth on on object-oriented programming. I have a computer science background. Yep. Um, and with I got a degree in it. You know, I learned booch diagrams and object-oriented programming. The problem is that model doesn't work as well on the web. On the web, you're dealing with more of a transactional programming model. Data When you can measure yeah. your profit per second or measure the business operations per second, that's a far cry from building up and tearing down a large, complicated, object-oriented infrastructure right. in your application. It's one of the reasons why the applications that we build at Vertigo are more database-focused and transactional-focused. So they never really said this was a benchmark of performance? No. Now, what happened? Okay. Oracle then took the application and said, on their Oracle application server, it's really fast, and this is how fast it is. Okay. So I think they kind of opened the door, so to speak, I got for it. a challenge from Microsoft. So um, Microsoft paid us. We have no problem saying that. They pay us for a lot of projects. They said, um, you know, port this thing to .NET, come up, use our lab, and let's just see how fast we can make this thing go. And because we had a baseline, that, uh, uh, which were the numbers that Oracle had, we had a fairly easy target because I, Oracle, you know, maybe they never thought that it would be challenged or, you know, but if you post numbers, numbers are an easy target. And so the two basic numbers that we came back with our code, I, I believe, I'm trying to remember from memory, we came back and showed at the PDC that I think we were one quarter of the amount of code. Right. I could be wrong, but it's a r roughly 25% the amount of, of code. And, and also, that was about 3,500 lines, is that right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I probably have the documents here somewhere, but it was about one quarter of the size. So about. You know, I, I remember it was, uh, was 14,000 lines for the original pet store, and I think it was 3,500. That sounds about right. Roughly for a for yeah. C sharp version that you did. Now, if we were if if the code is within uh, um, you know factor of two, 
I would say maybe that's not that interesting. Mm-hmm. But when you're that far apart in terms of the code size, I, I'd say that's a pretty interesting fact and yeah. something that is, is overlooked because the next number was the, the pure performance. Right. And it was uh, 2,800% faster, wow. 28 times faster. Now, granted, the person that moves last always has the advantage yes. because you, are, you have something to target. So what, how long did it take them to come up with a new version? And what was their aim in doing well, that? Well, l- let me get, tell you, our version we built with two people in five weeks. Wow. And one of the developers in the project had never done .NET before. Wow. And he's a talented programmer, and he's been doing a ton of Windows DNA work, but it was his first... .NET project. How much so we, training did he have? None. Really? Yeah. I mean, this is just based on... Um, Smart guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. And is he a VB guy or a C++ guy? Uh, he actually co-wrote one of my C++ books. So his name's Ralph Arvison. Okay. So C++, MSC, he'd been doing VB6 programming as well. So he I latched on to C-sharp probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, C-sharp is a lot of fun. So yeah. picking up C-sharp if you've done C++ programming is, or Java programming for that matter is, is pretty natural. And once you learn the namespaces, I mean, let's face it, guys, after 10 years in this industry, you start seeing patterns, these meta patterns yeah. of similar concepts coming and going. Right. And so it's not terribly difficult. There are definitely some new concepts in ASP.NET, like uh, just the state service and the cache API. Well, not a new concept, but it was new to our, our platform. They're back there in the Jungian collective unconscious of programming. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it, there definitely is one. And, boy, we're shaking things up with this pet shop. <laughs> um, so, you know, we built it a couple guys, five weeks, spent a lot of time in the lab. And a lot of the work in the – there is a physical lab in Redmond with, I don't know, maybe 100 workstations to generate load on a gigabit backplane with um, a bunch of uh, compact equipment. I think they're deal – what are they, 1850s, which are kind of old, some dual-proc machines, and some eight-way CPU databases. It, cool. Basically, it's not cheap to do a benchmark because you need space, you need people, you need time, you need equipment. And so someone has to pay for it because I have to pay my salaries, and someone has to pay me if they want to use my developers. Right. To, I mean, to just net it all out. So no one does, no one does benchmarks altruistically. Um, it it could be done if you had a, a nonprofit organization that was independently funded somehow, and I don't think that's a bad idea because I think maybe that's what this industry needs around this area. It's just not an economic reality, though. It's not economic reality, but, you know, uh, it's a whole other topic. Right. But, so anyway, then, so we published the results. Oracle fired something back, I think, pretty quickly saying it was bunk, um, but they retracted because they didn't have any supporting documentation. We published everything. I think there was over 140 pages or so of documentation, how the database was built, um, the test scripts. We even published the source code for the stupid line counting program. Very good. And that alone was controversial. Oh, for the line counting program. Oh, yeah, for the line counting program. Cool. So what do you consider a line of code? We even went Hmm. and tried to find a third-party line counting uh, application that we could use and uh, frankly, we were running out of time, and we just said, look, here's what we would consider to be a line of code. Hmm. And we published the source code for that thing. Um, so everything is controversial. It look, might look controversial, and, and maybe it looks like there's a um, – uh, things might look more complex than they really are. But when it comes down to it, every, everything that we did in the .NET version was completely open and public. And here are the numbers. You should be able to do the same thing in your own lab. Um, lo- uh, benchmarking is not an easy thing to do, and there's definitely a certain art to it in terms of babysit- babysitting your computers and trying to figure out what's going on. If it, Freudian know. slip there. You have a child? Babysitting? Yeah, <laughs> I do. In terms of babysitting. <laughs> babysitting. <laughs> uh, you might have to edit that one out. 
it, you know what, it's kind of what's like. In fact, one of the guys got a VCR and a TV and rented a bunch of movies to watch it as he's scripture going because you want to, you want them to run for for a long time. Right. Right. And so it's it's not the most glamorous job, but the, at the end of the day, the results are pretty cool. <laughs> Hey, I was checking out MSDN online this week, looking at the article archives. There's so much good stuff in the article archives, it's not even funny. Uh, things that I didn't even know was there. Look, check this out. Here's an article on multi-threaded programming with VisualBasic.net by Robert Burns of the Visual Studio team uh, from February. And he talks about how to create new threads, synchronize threads, how to use timers, how to use uh, thread pooling. And, it, you know, and it's all VB. There's also a great article in here uh, called Security Concerns for VBNet and Visual C Sharp.net Programmers, uh, which introduces co uh, code access security and uh, goes down into the details of web application security, dynamic discovery, authentication, impersonation and delegation, the ASP.NET process identity, uh, and lots of great stuff. And this is all just plain English, really good stuff. Here's a really cool article, using visualbasic.net to access Google's web service. Yeah, that's right. Did you know Google has published a web service? How to uh, download the, the information that you need for the API and source code to just, just call it up. That's great. There's lots and lots of stuff already up there on the web for you to go look at and search through and find answers. And hey, you know, just because an article is a couple of months old doesn't mean that it's not going to save you a lot of time and money. Um, and that's what it's all about, isn't it, folks? All right, so coming up on .NET Rocks, Scott Stanfield talks about Pet Shop 2.0 and going forward, what happened and what's going to happen next. So stick around. You don't want to miss this. So fast forward to Pet Shop 2.0. Okay. Let me ask you, um, Pet Shop 2.0, was there both a Java version and a .NET version that were built? You know, where, where did the, where did the so we, Java we, version come from? We had from? nothing to do with the Java version. The middleware company built that. Okay. Um, we may have, I think we may have answered some of, the, some of the guys that worked on our version. We have uh, probably clarified some of the intent behind our design to them because they had access to the source code. Everybody did. So, so I think our guys answered some questions that they may have had. Was um, I accurate in, what I, in how I introduced that? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so what happened? So for version two or round two, um, w you know, some Java, the Java guys at the the middleware company stepped up and said, "We'll we'll do it." And um, you, you know, Microsoft funded their travel expense and maybe their time and paid for the lab. And we were only up there, I think, for about another an additional month for version two point because some of the code changed. And we made a few tweaks to the application. In fact, we're able to, to crank out another 25% boost in performance in this, only two weeks of tuning the app. This is the J2EE version. Well, we, again, we're, we're doing, we took Pet Shop 1.0 with the .NET version. All right, hang on now. The, I'm, I'm confused. So the middleware company was doing a J2EE version, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay, and they weren't also doing a, a new .NET version? No, 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 no. Okay. We, we did the .NET version. You did the new .NET version against yeah. that old one. All yeah. right. So all the .NET numbers you see... Um, we're based on code that we wrote, okay. and we ran the benchmarks okay. in Microsoft's lab. Now, what's the what's the controversy going up around middleware? Well, I, here's here's I think the controversy is. Um, so imagine Carl that all of a sudden 
one day you post something on your website and say, hold on, we may have been wrong. Maybe what we're thinking about .NET might not have been true. We'll take a closer look at it in an effort to improve .NET. Okay. Well, in a sense, that's what Middleware did because they're a well-respected um, consulting company in the Java community. In the Java community. Yeah, and, and to their credit, they, um, they, they said, these are the results we found. Okay. And how are you going to argue with it? If they're not popular, they're not popular. Um, I think to the Java community's credit on the, in the forums there, there, there's a lot of people looking for controversy. There's a lot of people saying, how could you do this to us? But I think the ones that are taking the longer view are saying, this is a good thing for our community. And I'm so, talking about our community well, well, developers you, as a whole. Before you defend the position, let's, let's, let's define the controversy. So, so what they did, they came back and they, they did the write-up and said, these are the results that we found. Here are the .NET numbers versus our numbers, which they did on two different application platforms. Right. And there's a ton of charts and numbers and graphics. I think the bottom line is the .NET version was at least two times faster and was a I, lot smaller in surface area in terms of the amount of code you have to manage. All right. The answer I'm looking for is that, uh, is that Microsoft actually paid these guys to, for, you know, for some part of this benchmark. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's, that's what you know, people don't know. Yeah, yeah. So um, th there's a couple things. One is there's an email that Greg Leake sent out internally to brief uh, Microsoft at the field level right. to say they've got the numbers. He's going to go talk to some analysts. And by the way, here's what they found. And those kinds of emails go out every day in a large organization, right. especially if you have products. But the idea is that the, the Java community saw this and pointed to it and somebody put it up on yeah, a website somehow, and said... Somehow it was, it was leaked. Um, if you look at the email at the top of the subject line, it says confidential, do not right. distribute. And so as soon as you say that, it looks controversial. Right, exactly. Juicy. There's nothing that interesting in it aside from a few internal share names that, that Microsoft has. I, I've um, been, I've been uh, you know, following the whole thread on the RD list, and we had some, we had some replies from Microsoft, and, and uh, their position is, is pretty actually very, very good, which is that, you know, for for the longest time, they have try been trying to engage Sun directly mm -hmm. on doing on hiring a third party to do some benchmarks. Yeah, and Sun happen. has never agreed. Yeah, that's right. And so they had no choice but to go to a third party. So when they, when you say that they paid them, what they paid for was exactly the kind of expense you were talking about. Oh yeah, the expense I mean, of setting uh, up the lab. Yeah, I think the middleware company had two people on site there for like four months or but something if, like that. But the Java community is trying to insinuate that yeah. Microsoft somehow uh, affected the turnout, you know, and convinced them through yeah. some sort of, some sort of, uh, you know. Yeah, but listen, so Microsoft doesn't control what the middleware company says. Yeah, exactly. So and that's that's the question. I mean, are you so so? Are we saying that the middleware company is is you know able to be paid off for such an important? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, they're not going to risk their reputation. Of course not. On a benchmark. That's no. just a stupid argument. So, so the reason I wanted to bring up the controversy is just, you know, this is what they're saying. Yeah. And then the reality is that, you know, if you're a company who your your reputation and the numbers that you publish have to be right, mm -hmm. otherwise you're, you know, you're in the toilet. Yeah. So here's the deal. We totally stand by the .NET numbers. We didn't have anything to do with the uh, Java side. Okay. But it was pr done on the same equipment, and I imagine they know what the, uh, they knew what they were doing. I think Greg had someone in the lab to assist running the benchmarks because it's a pretty time-consuming process. Right. But th the bottom line is someone's got to step up and pay for this work. Right. It's not cheap, and Microsoft, to their credit. I believe was willing to go all the way with this thing and said, "Look, if if we don't get the numbers we want, 
we don't get the numbers we want. And the, and the, the middleware company is going to come out looking really good for beating Microsoft. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. And I, that's not to say that it's the end-all, is Java faster than, than .NET? It depends. For the Pet Shop application, that Pet Shop 2.0, that was low-tested at the Microsoft lab, it was not faster. Mm-hmm. Um, did Microsoft influence the numbers? No freaking way. No way. We would not be a part of that. There's just no way. Yeah. Right, and you know that's too big of a risk for them as well. Well, you know, at a certain point, we're all we got to step step back from this. We're all um, I think a lot of us in this this community have maybe a science background or a science bent, and we it's a meritocracy in a lot of a lot of software companies where the best ideas win. And we like to think that the truth will vet everything out. And now it might get a little more complicated when you start tying in marketing and the fact that these companies have products and maybe a lot of money at stake. But the bottom line is, this is a, a sign of, of competition. It's pure competition. And if anything, both platforms are going to become faster from this, which is a good thing. Isn't this what the whole anti-competitive monopoly thing was about? Right. You know, if Microsoft really wanted to, I mean, frankly, all the, the, the big companies, and Microsoft, IBM, BEA, Sun, and Oracle, I guess are the top application server providers, they could all just say nothing. And you, what you would find is that developers would go down a path expecting a certain level of performance and not get it. What they're doing, they're putting their money where their mouth is and say, we believe that .NET is not only faster, it's going to be smaller in terms of the amount of code you have to write and maintain, and it's just going to be a better experience. Now, is it a perfect app? No. I mean, we already know there's a few things we want to change in 2.0 in terms of decoupling some middle-tier layers from each other. You know, it's not perfect, so but what, given the constraints that we had uh, to build it in the time frame. Yeah. What were the final numbers, basically, on your 2.0 versus middleware's 2.0? I think for the best middleware numbers they had, we were roughly two times faster. Wow. Which they, so they really closed the gap, which is, uh, to their credit, I'm not surprised because they did it with some code that probably wasn't uh, written with performance in mind in the first place. Okay, now that's and interesting. There's a, pretty, there's a pretty good list of changes that they made to the original Pet Shop implementation, okay. uh, which were a way for them to gain further performance. And frankly, in looking at some of the comments that the Java folks have on the on the forum, there's probably room for a lot better improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say there's going to be uh, not room for improvement in the .NET world because it's a ma- mostly a matter of function. It's a function of time and money. How much, right. which are the same thing. How much time can you put into this application before the law of diminishing returns kicks in, and you're just not going to make it any faster? Very that's true. right. That's one thing that struck me when I read over the document on the middleware site. You know, they mentioned the optimization that went on with Pet Shop Two. Uh, I think you, it says you devoted one guy to a week. It's two weeks. Or to two weeks. <laughs> right. So so two man weeks, basically. And then uh, I, w- I want to say they had five developers working on the Java app for a longer period of time. A couple you know, the months. number in my head, I never met the guys. I'm not sure. I thought they had two people working pretty much full time for about four months. You know, I, I, whatever the, whatever they say on their site and their fact is the truth. I'm just, that's just, I don't totally know for sure. We didn't have much of a part in that. Right. Well, just like the uh, the benchmark numbers as far as performance, uh, you know, the time involved, uh, there was a huge disparity between the two. Yeah. Well, think of it this way. Um, and, and this is another good point that I think we should focus on. In the .NET world, we have one company that is accountable for everything that we do, and that's Microsoft. They have to make sure all their toys play well together. And I'm talking um, ADO.NET, SQL Server, the .NET framework, and the language in IIS 6 and Win2K, or Windows.NET Server. I think we probably did both. And if you take all those components out and start, you know those little toys you have where you 
you twist the pants, you twist the body, you twist the head, and get like a different monster depending on the configuration. <laughs> well, we the Java community calls that choice. And the problem is you might choose a three-headed monster that's not going to give you support. And we've seen this happen. So if imagine if you got a, uh, a third-party database driver to talk to Oracle and you're building an application on, say, WebSphere, if you have some problem, which company do you think is going to own up to the problem? None of them. They're all going to be pointing fingers at each other. So in a way, doing everything on the same platform um, gives you a, 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 better, a better degree of accountability. So you call one number through you know, PSS, Premier Support, and they're going to get to the bottom of it. And I know because we've been on calls like that. That's a very good point, Scott. Now, the nice thing is if you don't like their implementation of something, don't use it because you can still go around it. You can use the, the, the direct SQL Server library. You've got, God knows, probably three different ways to talk to SQL Server. Um, but, the, but the nice thing is the way that they give you in .NET, the simple way tends to be the best and the fastest. So there's a certain amount of elegance that we've come to respect in .NET that not only do they kind of get it right, and you know they get it right when you're typing code and you kind of guess at the name of a method. Right, and it's, it's kind there. of this little synchronicity <laughs> that you get. But as it turns out, that way also happens to be pretty fast. So when you can have high performance, high scalability, and relatively secure code, and it's also just a lot, the surface area is a lot smaller, it means you have less code to maintain, you have one company to go to if you have problems, um, you know, it frankly frees up more time for, for you to take a cooking class. Very good. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, We've got to move on so because you, there's always going to be controversies, and right. this is an, certainly an interesting one. And I, I think only nothing but good is going to come from this in both communities. I um, agree. But we're all developers, and we're all architects, the, the people working on these problems. And yeah, it's <laughs> there's some people that are deeply bitter about yeah. this, and I don't know if they had a bad experience with a, a, a video device driver with Windows, because Lord knows we've all had those problems. But there are just a lot of people that that don't like Microsoft. And I don't know if you guys knew that. Oh, uh, I had an, an idea. You have an inkling? Yeah. yeah, I had an idea. Yeah, I live in a cave. I, I was not aware of that. I thought everybody loved Microsoft. Well, the thing is, is like you said, you know, um, Microsoft was always about getting the tools out there, even if there wasn't the best API for programming it at the time. Yeah. And, you know, the smartest people would be able to figure it out, and it would, you know, we would all learn from each other. And, mm-hmm. They did have, uh, they do have, they did have some issues in the past about not knowing what what was going on in the Unix world, and therefore, you know, what are some of the problems that had been solved by those guys? Yeah. And they took some criticism for not, you know, opening their eyes enough and learning from the mistakes on other platforms. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, those I, days are over. I, I've seen that with .NET that they've they've taken the best of everything. It's and, big. Uh, yeah. yeah. And now, when we as developers talk about .NET, we mean the .NET framework and the languages. We don't mean you know, uh, the .NET line of server products necessarily, and I think, or Passport, or all these other things that Microsoft has been criticized for not having a clear, coherent message on .NET. What does that really mean? Right. And, you know, that's too bad, and it's up to, uh, in the the right circumstances, I think that's going to be fixed. Well, Scott, um, we have uh, an email question from your friend and mine, Juval Lowy. Who is uh, ironically just having a beer with you last night? That's right. Um, well, he talk- had cranberry juice. I had an old fashioned. So oh, okay. Well, we'll get it straight. That's right. He did not say a beer. He said a drink. <laughs> it was a drink. So then that, that <laughs> leaves it open for debate. <laughs> um, which was a discussion you guys were talking uh, a story about Cisco brought it up 
where there's always so much focus on the technologies and the merits of the yeah. of the technologies, Java versus .NET, but nobody really thinks about the human factors, you know, yeah. job security, uh, empire building, and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So what do oh, you think? Oh, yeah, let's face it. You know, we, we, we pour a tremendous amount of time into our professional life. And when someone comes out and criticizes, potentially criticizes or says that there is a better way to do something, um, it's natural for people to take offense at that. And I, that's not even a good thing to say. Um, I think it's good to say in the sense of uh, um, building the community that, hey, there's always room for improvement and that we're going to make our systems faster, more scalable, um, maybe less work for you to maintain over time because ultimately we serve the, the – the, we, we're a capitalistic society, right? Right. So we serve the companies that we are working for, and they're all about um, increasing revenue and reducing cost. That's all it boils down to. It's a very simple P&L. And if we find ways to get the job done faster, yet not shooting ourselves in the foot down the road for, for code maintenance and you know, total cost of ownership issues, um, then that's a really good thing. And it, frankly, I've never found an end user that has complained and said, your application's too fast. Can you please slow it down? Hmm. So when you can have the best except the best when you were running uh, old EGA graphics games on on uh... isn't, that, isn't that funny? That was the turbo switch. That's right. That was the turbo switch. You can slow it down so you can get to the final level. Yeah, it's, it's, it's there are little programs that you could write that would hook the timer interrupt and just put like you know four next loops in there in assembler you know so oh, to slow then, down the processor. And on the other end of the extreme, there's this whole like underground of uh, overclocking. Right. So, like, where people will take hot rods and soup them up for sideshows and street racing, people are doing the same thing, but with computers and really pushing them to the limit. <laughs> yes. People got a lot of time in their hands. I know it. <laughs> yeah, not everybody wants to submerge their PC in liquid nitrogen, though. And, uh, <laughs> that, that's what you see happening. Up there. So, the conversation I had with Yuval last night is um, he was saying that if you, he was he was telling somebody, I guess it's somebody at Cisco, that you know, .NET is going to reduce your total cost of ownership. And that's a fancy way of saying you get more for less. Um, that wasn't necessarily a message this guy wanted to hear because internally he was writing applications for other groups in their company. And so in a sense he had to kind of charge those other groups within the company money to do it. And so if all of a sudden his price goes down for an application, say it goes down from 300 I don't know, a million dollars to half a million, he'll get more work for his group you know, maybe the workload will double, but he won't necessarily get more headcount to build those applications. So then we start to step back and say, wow, so pure technology isn't a means to an end. There's actually people involved. There's business decisions that are made. Um, you know, a lot of times in, in the pure technology folks, especially a lot of the RDs, um, it, it's, it's easy to get sucked into, you know, minutiae and programming. Mm. Um, and it's certainly, it's intoxicating. Because, frankly, we have fun learning, learning new things. Yet when you have to balance it back with the real world and the the human factors with people, that's a little more nebulous and a challenging a challenging thing for us to do. At one point in the in the past I had this revelation that, you know, since the aim of software development was to automate processes that are done by people, mm -hmm. that eventually the only job left in America will be computer programmer. Well, two jobs, computer programming and battery management. <laughs> I can't tell you how much of my day is spent maintaining my fleet of batteries between my camcorder, my BlackBerry, my cell phone, my iPad, my digital camera. Um, I'm probably leaving a few out. Thank God I don't have an electric car. Yeah, it's... Well, you may in the future. Batteries are going to rule us. We will be slaves to batteries. Hmm. 
That's a scary thought. Oh yeah, my laptop has a battery too. Well, I'd like to keep you aware of what's going on here at Franklin's Net. We have just got our uh, class schedule for the first five months of 2003 online. Seven VB.net master classes on schedule from January to May. Uh, also, we're going to be publishing a lot more how-to videos. Our how-to videos have been very popular, especially the author binding uh, video. We're going to be putting a whole bunch of new videos up there in the coming days, so stay tuned for that. And also, uh, Sunny Day will, our old friend Sunny Day will be doing some videos, and the first one is coming up next week. As always, we are continuing to put code snippets that we find interesting online for you to download for free. So if you're not already on our mailing list, please sign up, and we will give you notifications of new .NET Rock shows and who's on and when they, when they go online. Not only that, but you'll get our .NET newsletter once a month where uh, we pass along tips and code and little bits of news that we've learned uh, throughout the month uh, for free. Now stick around for more with Scott Stanfield and Mark Dunn and myself right here on .NET Rocks. Don't you go away. So, um, so job security. Yeah, you talk about job security for developers. Um, I, I, developers go through this enlightenment process. Imagine if, imagine, if you will, classifying developers into three camps. For lack of a better word, beginner, intermediate, and expert. And kind of chart their, their growth over time from beginner to an expert. And then on the y-axis, you chart something else. Maybe it's ego. Um, beginner is, is willing to admit what they don't know because they know they can't you know, hoodwink people into thinking what they, what they don't know. Right. Yet in intermediate, you, the curve jumps up. like It bumps like a standard distribution because they're kind of expected to know everything by now. But by the time you get to the expert, um, they're comfortable saying what they don't know, and they realize there's lots of ways to solve a problem. And yet they, they retain the facilities to, to explore other technical avenues and don't get bothered by things like, oh, this application's 18 times faster than that other one, because given enough time, they can probably solve the problem. Right. At a certain point, everything's just a Turing machine. Hmm. And you know you can optimize at that level, make something, make almost anything go faster. So didn't I see you? Didn't I see you on the World Series? I did. I caught a foul ball on the top of the fifth inning off David Eckstein. The, uh, and you the turned around. Shortstop. Yeah. And you turned around to you turned to the ca- to the crowd though. We didn't really see much of your I face. I turned to the crowd. I did. And about a half a second later, I turned to the, the center field cameras. But I was just so surprised I caught the darn ball. And uh, the Giants went on to win that game. 16 to 4, which was pretty fabulous to be there. And, wow. Um, being, I was right down on the, right in the Giants bullpen, right in the dirt there. <laughs> and, uh, whew, that was pretty cool. Did you have a glove or did you oh, catch it with yeah. your bare hands? Got to bring a glove. Oh, yeah? Bring a glove, you get a ball. <laughs> Don't bring a glove, you're going to have uh, broken fingers. I was teaching a class and uh, I got an email from Tim Huckabee, sent it to the RD list. He says, you know, I swear to God, I just saw Scott Stanfield catch a fly ball. I can't believe he recognized me from that. I was only on TV for about four seconds. And uh, you're right, I mostly have my back to the audience, but he probably recognized my superior game, you know, ball handling skills. Uh huh. It was a one hop seam, it was probably going about 90 miles an hour. So he probably thought there's only one person in that crowd that could have caught that ball. <laughs> That's what I'm guessing. Well, we'll put a link uh, on the show page to the. To the, uh, the video. streaming video of you catching that ball. It's my proud moment. Right. <laughs>
Um, I would trade that ball, though, for a, a win with the Giants in Game 6. Well, you can't have everything. No, can't have everything. So what, yep. are you work, what are you working on right now? Um, unfortunately, there's some pretty cool stuff that we're doing that I can't say anything about. It's a real bummer. Oh, yes, um, you can. No, I can't. Yeah, you can. It's just we're you and me. We're not tell anybody. Trust us. There's just more good stuff coming, more more of the same. Um, you know, we've got Everett, the launch of Everett coming up next early next year along with Windows.net server. Windows.net server looks awesome. Oh, yeah. With iOS 6, it's going to make our applications run faster. You've got kernel-level caching for websites. Um, you've if got you MSMQ features, which yeah. I love. I love asynchronous processing. It yep. makes your systems go faster because, frankly, you know, people in the real world don't care if it takes one second or 1.5 seconds to do right. work. Right, exactly. A lot of times, it's not you know, going to make your form load any slower. Exactly. So use, a, use, use asynchronous processing for things that don't need real-time input. Yeah. And that's a key to building fast systems. Are you uh, working on a new uh, kind of demo project uh, to showcase what you can do with uh, any of the new technology? There, you'll see us continuing to do work for the ASP.NET team and also the Windows Forms team. Um, and we've we've done some dabbling in security and trying to try to build hack-proof uh, ASP.NET web apps. There's a fantastic uh, 600 or so page PDF that Microsoft put out recently, which I highly recommend. Um, lo- oh, yeah. full, full of good practical information that you can find on MSDN. Um, I think I've, I found that uh, shortly after they put it out and yep. emailed it to Carl yep. late one night. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great good document. Thing. I, I, I would recommend uh, taking it to Kinko's if you want to print it out, though. It's, it's a monster. Hmm. It doesn't mean that it's hard. It just covers a lot of concepts. Security is hard. It requires a different mindset. Implementing good, secure ASP.NET applications is not hard. It just requires some thought from the beginning. Yep. I'd say there's a few areas that, as programmers, we just don't pay attention to. Security, um, globalization, and when's the last time you've written an application so it can be translated to French or Actually, or now that's Japanese. much easier because everything's Unicode. Exactly. It's definitely, Unicode's definitely a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so little things like that to really kind of the fit and finish of, of a good application um, or the hallmark of a good developer is understanding those. And One thing, if, if I could give people advice, web developers in general, it is to know and love your database. Or know and love your database administrator. Ooh, yeah. Because it's an area it that feels it just, good. It just baffles me that that people still don't want to use stored procedures, mm-hmm. or they don't pay attention to the database design, or they don't use referential integrity, they don't use triggers, they don't pay attention to the thing that's a thousand times slower than the CPU. Yeah, they need to come to the three-day SQL knucklebuster at Franklin's yeah. Net. Yeah, that's right, man. I mean, I'm I'm very passionate about those topics. It drives me nuts, and it's not hard. It's nope. a different way of thinking, this relational way of thinking about data. It, I, I was using SQL Server back when it was um, the joint relationship between Sybase, and it only ran yeah. on OS2, um, and that was challenging. And um, I really learned it from the ground up there, and I just had a good appreciation for for databases since then. And 95% of the applications that we build, at least here at Vertigo, are have a database involved. And if you're... What goal, are the other 5%? Uh, <laughs> I'm actually trying to think of something. I thought of a pocket PC app, but use a SQL CE. That's, um, you know, Pat Hines posed that question. He said, you know, somebody told me that 95 or 99 or... 95, I think it was. 95% of applications are all database. So okay, what, are the other, what are the other five? I guess Notepad. Yeah, yeah a calculator maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They all use the database. So, so why not just, just spend some time, get comfortable with the database. You'll be a much more effective programmer, and you'll build, your systems will run a lot faster. Yeah. 
Well, you know, think about it. You're dealing with a platter that spins. It's a physical thing that moves. And if it's an inefficient query and you have to wait for that seek head to move laterally or wait for the disk to spin around, you could have executed, I don't know how many millions of instructions that you could have executed in the meantime. So instead of focusing on you know a super cool design pattern, put a little bit more effort into the database. And the thing is, once you get a fast database, you can offload a lot of your business logic to the database, which some people are not going to like that, mm. that idea, because they say, well, what if you switch databases? Well, unless you're an ISV building an application that you want to sell to run on multiple databases, I challenge you to find a system that you've moved to a different database. I think the Sunblad brothers have the best uh, reference on that, you know, where does business logic go in their book. And they're coming out with a new one for, for .NET. I would say it goes closest to the data as possible. Right. That's, that's, that's what they say. And now with web services, you can expose data on SQL Server so that anybody can access it. And with Yukon, um, you'll be able to write those stored proxy uh, VBNet. Don't. This is my one pet <laughs> peeve. Why, and the SQL guys might not like me for this, but why would you write a procedural-oriented um, method for accessing data in a database when you have a perfectly good language of T-SQL? Maybe it's a way to get more functional programming or object-oriented programming people into the fold. Yeah, it's the new variant. But it's man, it, I, I I have not seen it, so my first reaction is somewhat, why are we doing this? Just have them learn SQL instead. But, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see what they do. Yeah, you know, I look at it the same way. I'm, uh, it's going to be weird for yeah. me to see a stored proc written in VBNAT or C Sharp. I tell you what, though, that's um, that's the first thing that I want to nail down when I see that is, it, you know, yeah, what do I think about out. this? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and and frankly, you know, I've been fighting the stored procedure battle for so long. The first version of Pet Shop used stored procedures, and we got hammered for it. Why? Say, well, that's SQL or, um, uh, SQL Server specific, and you know, you shouldn't be using them. So well, Oracle used PL SQL procedures, right? They're different, right? though. They're different. And so what we did, we went back and pulled them out, and sure enough, it's just as fast. You don't use stored procedures for speed. You used to in SQL 6.5 because the, the it was a pre-compiled uh, execution path. The reason why you sort procedures are twofold. You abstract the database layout from the people doing the middle tier programming or the business logic and code, such that if you need to change the name of your table or change the way a table is organized, you don't have to go back and recompile your source code. Secondly, and more importantly now, it's it's a it's a funnel for security. You right. can make it such that all your web applications are only allowed to execute stored procs. Not only does it give you a smaller surface area of attack, it also makes it easier to do parameter val uh, or yeah parameter validation to protect yourself from SQL injection attacks. And frankly, it's SQL really, injection attacks. It's very difficult to do a SQL injection attack if you're going through stored procedures. You mean uh, a rogue program going out there and messing with your database? SQL injection attacks are fascinating. Imagine you have a web page which says, "Please log in into your name and password." Okay, so mm -hmm. you have two text boxes. One's a text field, and the other's and uh, you know with the asterisk. In HTML, I forgot what it's called. It's another input box. Yeah, password, password box. And you take those two parameters in your code, and you have something like this. Select user ID from users, where username equals, and then the name of the text box, and password equals the name coming from the text box. Yeah. So you construct that with little plus signs and quote marks, and I will hack you so fast, your head will spin. Mm. Because in the username box, I can put a, right. what is it, equals quote, quote, or got it. Blah 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 blah. Tick mark. Sp underscore xp command shell. Yeah. Um, command you know, Format <laughs> sequel or whatever. <laughs> it's so easy to jump out if you're if you're building a, a select statement 
if you're constructing a, a selectable fly, yeah. you're totally vulnerable to what's called a SQL injection attack. There's also an HTML injection attack. And, That's and, the and, one that uh, the code, uh, code, red, red? code Red virus used. I think it used that to, to break into IIS or something like that. Well, it used that to uh, go down to the command.exe and yeah. shell out, which it, was an amazing thing. I can't believe that, you know, after so many versions of Windows, that that was still possible. I know. There's all kinds of, of side effects in, that are preserved in the name of compatibility that we, we see in the OS and other yeah. things. And uh, that's something, actually, one of the reasons why I'm excited about Windows.net Server for web servers. Windows.net Server 2003 Web Edition. That's the official name. Because we'll have a version that's just for serving at web applications, which would be nice. Mark Anders talked a little bit about that. And I encourage uh, everyone listening to go back and listen to the Mark Anders interview where he talked about .NET Server. Uh, and you hinted at it a little bit, but just a much, much more efficient way to serve up web pages. Well, not only is it faster. It's closer um, to the processor. Exactly. It's a kernel mode level. So it's blazingly fast. There's some ways of CPU throttling that you can lay out scheduling, saying, I, I've got this batch job, give it higher priority at night when no one cares about you know, performance of the system overall. It's got The way it handles caching now in, in IS is really nice. But remember, Scott, .NET is a platform for hosting web services. So just remember that all okay. the time. Okay, I will remember that. <laughs> <laughs> we are using web services. We actually are. There's cases where it makes a lot of sense. It's, um, well, I'm being facetious, of course, because you know, the marketing it, message missed the mark. There is the, uh, the Gartner hype hype cycle or whatever they call it. Yeah. You know? um, just like any new technology, remember multimedia was the big thing and then peer-to-peer -peer was going to be the big thing. And Pan OS. Yeah, yeah Pan OS. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these things kind of uh, come and go. The difference with web services, I think, is that it's going to survive because it's based on open standards that everybody agrees with. Right. And it's actually working. It's a relatively um, elegant solution to a complex problem. Yep, it's working very well. And ha it's It's... We know how humans talk to computers over the web. That's with a browser. How do we computers talking to other computers over the web? And that's through SOAP and web services. And it works pretty well. Okay, uh, Scott, we have a caller on the line. Dennis Jefferson, you have a, uh, a question for Scott? Yeah. Uh, when you did the, the uh, pet shop thing, you uh, used the data repeater a lot instead of the data grid. And I was wondering why you did that. And when might you choose the data grid instead? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the data repeater is definitely simpler in terms of its functionality. The data grid gives you a ton of functionality. But if, if we – I'm trying to think of this specific example. I believe there was a case where we had to do paging or something. And maybe the, the formatting or the, the – Sorting the and paging maybe? Yeah. Maybe the functionality we're getting with the data grid didn't exactly match the end user experience you'd get with the patch with the Java version. And remember, we wanted the, the UI to be identical, totally identical except for the images for copyright reasons. So, where we may have used a data grid because you get a lot of easy functionality, we might have we might have actually made the decision to go with the data repeater to get perfect parity. In, in the functionality. And see, that's not something that you, as an engineer or an architect, you might not have to deal with that because um, I'm a big fan of saying, hey, if you've got code like a data grid that makes it very easy to do sorting um, and just displaying columns of data that, with paging involved, but if it doesn't totally match the requirements from UI perspective, change them. Change the requirements. Because it, for something like that where you get a lot of functionality for very little code, it's just overall savings in the amount of code you have to maintain and potential bugs and how long it takes you to write it. Because if it's something very trivial, then you could probably use the data grid. But we may have, we may have had to go with the data repeater 
um, because we didn't get the exact matching functionality. So that's unique to the benchmark. Now, it may also be, too, uh, the data repeater may be faster. I was going to ask if there was maybe some sort of efficiency choice there. Yeah, there there may be, because um, we're always looking at a couple things. Uh, we, have, we have a fine line between high performance and writing a lot of code. So if you get good performance and less code at the same time, I think that's a good thing. Um, so the beauty of it, though, is if you come across a situation where you're trying to decide, do I use a data repeater or data grid? Now, I know the pet shop, they use a data repeater. But for my case, I'm not so sure. Well, here's what you do. Write a very simple case that mimics what your application is going to do eventually on a two separate web pages. We'll call one data grid, call the other data repeater. And then if you have got VisualStudio.net Enterprise Edition, you have this thing called Application Center Test. It's something that not a lot of people know about, but it's we call it ACT or App Center Test. Yeah, that's it, the new new version of Homer, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. And it's it's a lot sexier looking with nice big numbers and graphs and stuff. Um, it's very easy to build up a very simple test case where you just hammer that page um, to see the maximum number of requests per second. Now, even if you do it on your development box or you maybe have a small developer server, you're looking for relative performance. You're not looking for absolute performance. And if you find that the relative performance between the two is a factor of four, maybe that's important to you. Mm-hmm. In a performance-oriented benchmark, it is important. So we'd probably be willing to go with the data repeater because it's still in the palette of useful tools that we can use. It may also be that the way you maintain paging, um, I know that was a, a difficult thing to do fast. In, I mean, think about it. If you got ten, you have a search set, search result that returns 10,000 items. Do you do you display all 10,000 on the web page? No, you probably page 20 of them at a time or, or something like that. Better yet, if you got more than 10,000, ask the user to be more precise and don't even show them. Say, your search return too many results, please narrow it down. Um, that'll give you better performance. But let's say you do have to use some kind of paging mechanism. It may have been that we got a better performance with the, the data the data reader. Okay, well, that's great. I appreciate that. That's a good, good question. Awesome. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, those kinds of, frankly, what I find fascinating about these projects is the why we did things. And that's a really hard thing to capture as you go because you almost need someone looking over your shoulder the whole time saying, wait a minute, why did you just pull the data grid out instead of the data reader? And it may be something like, well, we did some low testing and we thought we'd get better performance this page. Let's try a data reader instead and see what it does. Sure enough, it's better and you move on. But maybe if you had someone looking over your shoulder and say, ah, but the data grid has this feature, which would be nice for the user or it's just simply less code, um, it'd be nice to have a, you know, a guardian angel over our shoulders. Maybe that's what XP Extreme Programming is about. Extra price, I thought. That. Yeah, extra price. <laughs> <laughs> um, I personally really find myself to be most productive when I was programming when I did it in, a, in, with, in pairs. I did it with somebody else. Hmm. A lot more fun that way. Right. Hey, uh, Scott, I wanted to go back to what you mentioned about the stored procedures earlier. Uh, in the version 2 of the pet store, uh, you you took stored procs out, yeah. so it it would be on a level playing field with the Java version. Yeah. Uh, did did you see any kind of noticeable decrease in speed when you did that? No, nothing noticeable at the at the level we were running it at. Right, and that that's one thing that surprised me. I I generally uh, yeah you know look at stored procedures as being a way to improve performance. Yeah, th- that was a good argument. Six five in the seven zero days, and I think around seven zero or two thousand SQL Server two thousand, they uh, they're also caching the execution plan for um, for the for any queries coming yeah. through. So um, that's why I say there's the, the two real arguments now are encapsulation and security. You get a tighter security path, and you get to encapsulate 
the, the data behind it. And one of the things I do in simple demos, I build a stored procedure that returns some data, and I build a WinForm that uses it through a web service, and then I say, oh, but the data is not sorted. Well, you could sort it in the middle tier by sorting the data set. You could sort it in the data grid, or you can just go to the stored proc and add an order by clause, and the re- and you right. refresh on your app, and boom, it's sorted. Just to show people that you can make changes at the stored procedure level that do have effect all the way back up. You know, now, that one... can be a dangerous thing, no doubt. I mean, you can change you know, have a fundamental impact. Your application just might break. But but you should know it's an option that you have. Yeah, that's right. It's definitely an option. Well, uh, Scott, before we say goodbye, do you have any favorite tools that you found out there, uh, either third-party things you pay for or things you download for free that you think are just too cool to let go? I run. I got this thing called WinKey, which lets me map the, the underused Windows key to anything. So Window I brings up Internet Explorer. Windows Shift O, my computer, brings up The Onion. Windows oh, Shift cool. B brings up, I mapped it to bring up the Major League Baseball score page. <laughs> um, it's just a little tool I've been using forever. I'm not even sure where it is. Maybe I can send you a link. Also, there's a utility, that, because I'm such a fan of the Windows key, um, The we use IBM ThinkPads. They don't have a Windows key. It drives me nuts. So we wrote a little, myself and one of the developers here wrote a little program to to intercept all the keyboard events and map the right control key to the Windows key. Very cool. And if you're a Windows key um, addict like I am, then, then that would be a, a good addition to your portfolio. Probably not what you're expecting, huh? No, that's perfect. Yeah. In fact, yeah, we, we need that link. Yeah, we'll get that link up there. So listen, uh, any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Yeah, the final thoughts. Um, just look, look, you know, the benchmark, the benchmark thing with Pet Shop. It's at the end of the day, we're going to look back on this and say it was pretty cool that that this happened because as a result as the end user of all these tools, whether or not you're in the Java community or Microsoft, you're going to get a better product. And that's what competition's about. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, Scott, from, the, from, uh, from Mark and myself, I want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, continuing to enlighten the world with uh, especially this particular issue. And uh, just in general about .NET, keep on rocking, buddy. Thanks, you guys. Thanks very Take much. Care, we'll see you next time. Time on.